The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to uh, another edition of Friday Night Live with me Hafi Shaban on this uh, amazing, uh, lovely, gorgeous Friday early evening on the 12th of July 2019 corresponding to I believe uh, the 9th of Zil Qaeda 1440 as usual we are broadcasting live on Luton in Spy FM 105.1 FM uh, and also across our sister stations nationally on Sheffield, Link FM, Peterborough, Salam, Derby and Nottingham uh, and as, as always you can also tune in to Inspire FM on Friday Night Live via the Inspire FM app and of course you can be uh, also tuning in to us via our Inspire FM website where you can watch or listen to us live via our website and last but not least there is of course the Facebook live stream as always uh, inshallah as always uh, you know it's good to hear from our listeners tune in join today's discussion debate we've got a fantastic lineup of stories to be discussed uh, great to hear your voices and your opinions and get them across to our panelists as usual the number here in the studio is 01582 01582 is the number for all of you that love social media and want to text in or whatsapp in your thoughts as opposed to speaking to us directly here in the studio Right, so as I said, we've got a number of topics that we're going to be discussing this evening over the next two hours and, I'm, I, and I've got a feeling that the next two hours are going to go past very, very quickly. Uh, but, you know, there was a whole host of stories that we could have covered this week. Well, uh, I, I, was, uh, I was informed quite late of the 24th anniversary of the genocide in Srebrenica. Now, that should have been a story making the headlines on Friday Night Live, but unfortunately, it was brought to my attention a bit late, so we're not going to be covering that. But nevertheless, July the 11th marked the 24th anniversary of the Srebrenica genocide. Right, so we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he gives Jannah to those that were the victims of that genocide. A lot of lessons to be learned and, and it should have been a subject matter of discussion as I said earlier. And whoa, those of us that have been following the World Cup, what semi-finals? India versus New Zealand. Now was that a surprise? Uh, or was that justice done to Pakistan? And then of course England versus Australia, what a story, what a story. And we've got the final, right? Australia, uh, sorry, England versus uh, New Zealand. Both sides, which Pakistan, of course, beat, therefore making default Pakistan the champions, I believe. <laughs> or at least that's what I make it. But uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts. Right, but anyway, before we go into the stories that we're going to be covering, I've got a great lineup here in the studio itself. Uh, so let me introduce to you my, my co panelists and uh, fellow presenters here in the, in, in the studio, mashallah. So I have got Brother Tahir Mahmood. Uh, firstly, let me introduce Brother Tahir Mahmood. Uh, mashallah, been living in the Luton for the last 30 years, a local activist, a uh, 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 school governor here in Luton, mashallah, and, and involved with a lo- number of local initiatives and I did invite the brother in to come and share with me uh, this platform inshallah so let me welcome brother Tahir Mahmoud Salaam alaikum brother Tahir and uh, you are live Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah and zakallah uh, for that nice intro brother Shaban 
Jazakallah uh, for joining me and sparing your, your next two hours for us here in the studio and also mashallah I, I've got another surprise mashallah uh, <laughs> brother Arif uh, mashallah what, what can I say an ex-policeman former Kingston uh, struck Glaswegian and, and currently Lutonian a community care officer you know uh, joining us in the studio mashallah gonna, gonna you know uh, give us the insight on, on some of these stories and, 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 your, and your thoughts welcome to, to the studio brother Thank you, Salam alaikum. Yeah, I've uh, I've travelled a bit, haven't I? <laughs> I've, no, I've been around a bit, but thank you very much. Look forward to discussing right. a few issues. Alhamdulillah. All right. So, so what, what's our lineup this evening, right? So, we're, firstly, we're going to be covering a story. I, I don't know if, if if many of our listeners have. Uh, I've, I've actually followed this story. It hasn't had a, a great deal of media coverage, right? but this is a story from Greater Manchester. Greater Manchester please refusing to reopen a probe into the death of Shukri Abdi. Shukri Abdi. And the, uh, firstly, our du'as go out to, the, to our 12-year-old sister and her family. And this is a story of a 12-year-old Shukri, like I said, uh, Shukri Abdi, who drowned on the, the 27th of June in uh, River Irwell in Bury. Uh, police put down the incident as a, a tragic accident. However, circumstances right around it would suggest otherwise, right? Police are anyway, in, in brief, re refusing to reopen investigations. The family, friends and supporters don't like it and we ask why and what's going on, right? So we've got a, a couple of uh, a couple of campaigners on the line immediately and I, and I suggest we go straight to the campaigners. I have Aisha, Ayan and Sirad. Right, I don't know if they're three different people <laughs> or whether they're... <Yeah. laughs> I've just got three names, right? So, all right, so we've got uh, Aisha, Ayan and Sirad. I, I believe all from... Uh, is, is it the Greater Manchester area that you're from? No, no, no. Where are you from? Birmingham. All right. Okay. So you're from in Birmingham. All right. So so tell us and tell our listeners more about this case and, and what 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 has got you involved in 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 this case. Um. Well, primarily speaking, what initially got us involved was when we heard the story on the news and right. surrounding it were quite a few suspicious circumstances. Right. And considering the climate that we live in um, today, it is it was it became more and more evident that evidence was being hidden and the circumstances weren't being relayed back to the public. Now right. after a couple of days of the of Shukri's death, Allah more details were released in terms of um, uh, Shukri being Shukri being bullied. Um, this was both physical and verbal. However, there were no reports on this by the BBC and other local authorities. Now, we took it upon ourselves to ensure that Shukri does get justice by campaigning and ensuring that Shukri's voice is heard. Right. 100%. And just basically, um, just trying to say that there is actually a safeguarding issue in regards to how the authorities and the police deal with inquiries around mothers who do have an English barrier when complaining about the manner in which their kids are looked after. Right. Yeah. So, so, so educate. Right. So just before we go into the details, let, let's give our let's give our listeners a bit of background. Right. So this is a, a twelve-year-old, you know, uh, you know, young young this sister, Somali girl, Somali girl, right? So who'd come yeah. over to the UK about a year ago? Wasn't you know go, attending Around school? Uh, and there's there's a case. There's an apparent case here of this twelve-year-old being bullied in school. Right, and yeah. uh, and and uh, then suddenly, you know, she she ventures off and she's found in uh, drowned, right, in in this particular river, right? She she didn't venture off. Um, right. From what we know, right, is that she was coerced into going with a group of friends towards the lake district. Right. Uh, four friends, right? and and the school and the thing the 
the special thing around it was the school and the river are actually three miles apart. Yeah. So it is highly unlikely for a young 12-year-old girl who came to the country two years right. previously as a refugee from the Dadaab camp in Kenya yeah. to then suddenly decide to venture off by herself to a river three miles away from school right. and then take a swim. Right. Fully so, closed. Right. So, so why why are the police then refusing to reopen the case now? Before before we go into that, I mean, I'm 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 seeing here that there's been a petition, uh, online campaign, fifty six thousand people. I, I don't know what the latest count is, right? Of people actually calling for the investigation to be reopened, right? So, police currently are not doing that. I've got a statement from the police. We did try to reach out to the police, not available for comment, but their position has yeah. not changed, and they 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 believe there's nothing to be suspicious in terms of the circumstances surrounding that. The death. That is because the police believe that this is this this can go away. Basically, it's something that they can continue sweeping under the rug. And me and my campaigners and other outrage protesters who actually did actively sign the petition to get to I think it's around 60k now, I believe. So um, all of us in general are saying that we will not be silent. This is our voice. What's right. occurring with the situation is wrong, and right. the fact that you guys are negating the the power that roughly 56,000 people signed a petition saying look into it is very harmful for themselves because they're just literally digging a hole deeper for themselves. At the end of the day, the truth will come to light and that the circumstances around Shukri's death, there was a lot of foul play around it. Right. It's just, just because she's a refugee with the English barrier does not mean that you can negate her life Right. something simple. Like that. And yeah. To yeah. add to that, so, I would also like to say yeah. the local authorities, I mean, I would presume that nobody wants to admit Mm-hmm. That there was a, that the system actually let down Shukri. Mm-hmm. Nobody right. would openly want to admit that because that would then um, uh, result in this investigation being opened, the school right. being questioned, and further action being taken. Right. Okay. Also, so um, so, so let, let, let's just hold on to those thoughts, right? So I want to I want to bring in Brother Arif, right? It's a blessing in disguise. Uh, he's a, a former police officer, right? A community care officer now, right? So you're hearing the story. I don't mm-hmm. know to what extent you know the background of the story, right? But you, you've got you've got uh, you've got a summary of it from the sisters who are campaigning. That there's uh, allegations here that the police are covering up. That they're not. Uh, they're refusing to reopen an investigation. There sound. There seems to be a legitimate case for, you know, uh, a, a bit of an investigation here. What could be some of the grounds for the reason why police are refusing to reopen this case, uh, uh, Brother okay. Arif? Okay, that's a that's a very good question, right? Mm. So. There's a, there's a, there's quite a few issues here that I think that mm. we need to look and, and mm. kind of like discuss and, and pretty much separate right. this stuff. Okay, so first of all, is that me from a personal point of view? I, I only go by what is obviously in the media and yeah. stuff like that. So. Yeah. My assumption is based on that, plus it's also based on 20 years as a police experience and stuff. Yeah. Now, there are, well, there's, I can tell you now, there, there's been hundreds of cases where I have gone along and we have dealt with initially circumstances where somebody has died. Right. Right? So they could be somebody's found, i.e., um, in in a home they've mm. uh, they've either committed suicide or they've been found right. in a park um or hung themselves or any other circumstances right now the police the main role of the police in something like that is to what's obviously what do they do they investigate right so when they investigate they have to ascertain is there or has there been any criminal offence? So the most serious offence that you're looking at is obviously murder, right? So i.e., for example, um, if we if we take this uh, if we take this case, i.e., a body of a 12-year-old has been found 
in a river. So the police will literally go there, they'll look, they'll investigate, they'll look at the circumstances surrounding it. Um, They'll obviously receive the body, they'll they'll liaise with the coroner. But imagine you you were a police officer and here's the circumstances. The the young girl, she doesn't swim. So what what, what is she doing near a river? It's two miles away from a school and she's that's that's completely out of habit. Right. Yeah. Secondly, their body, they found her body at the bottom of the lake, bite marks on her hands and necks after and and apparently after being lured by her classmates. Uh, We've got a track record and a history of her being bullied at school. I mean, all of these are not. Not just circumstantial right, evidences, right? That. Yeah, yeah, go on, sisters. So, also, um, the area in which she was found, there was uh, not enough water to drown from what she could on to set in her out Right. There wasn't enough uh, enough water for her to drown. But anyway, okay, mm-hmm. they found the, uh, the body at the bottom of the lake. Yeah. I mean, to me, all of these circumstances seem yeah. to be, you know, at odds of, uh, of, of uh, uh, you know, unsuspicious kind of activity. And, and it, 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 it have wouldn't actually come it, forward yeah. um, uh, and actually said that others. Um, some some of the people from the school have actually come forward saying Shukri was being bullied, blaming right. others, and actually highlighting this. However, right. now we have the police who say, um, please um, uh, calm down basically with the social media movement because yeah. we have serious allegations being pointed at four children. But yeah. the bottom line here is these four children did commit the crime. And if we allow this to basically be shot on the carpet, these children will then be allowed to right. re-enter the but, but I'm, I'm just trying, uh, sisters, I'm just trying to understand the other, other side. So, so sorry. Okay, brother Arif. Yeah, like, okay, okay. So, c- coming back to the point that I was saying. Mm. So, the police would obviously look at these circumstances, yeah. right? And they would form a pitch and they would yeah. look at everything, all the issues that you've suggested or, mm. you, you know, that has happened. What, what would then happen is that they would then basically repair, sorry, uh, submit a report to the coroner mm. detailing the circumstances sure. and the outline of the case, Yeah. right? The coroner would then instruct the police, i.e. to make any further uh, investigations or further inquiries. Right. Now, in absence of that, the coroner, if you know who the coroner is, the coroner mm. is somebody who's basically legally qualified yeah. as in the medical field and in the legal profession. If if they deem that there is further inquiry to be made, they will then may, make make that recommendation. If GMP, Great Manchester Police, are turning around and saying, well, look, unless there is new evidence that basically comes to light, but we've conducted our investigation mm. and we feel at this stage yeah. that we don't think that there is something right. criminal. I'm, I'm going to bring in Brother Tahir just before I come back to you, sisters. I'm going to bring in Bro- Brother Tahir as a community activist, right? Now, here's a typical case where the community are, are, are clearly not happy. We've got 60,000 plus signatures from the community who are saying, we're not happy, the, the circumstances don't add up, we want an answer, and we want a police investigation. I mean, what, what are the kind of the, the, the things that you would you know, advise you know, the sisters and, and you know, the, some of the communities perhaps that are listening into this program nationally, you know, to the kind of action that they should be taking in trying in trying to build up a, you know, some pressure and, and uh, get, get some answers for, for, for this case. Zakala, uh, brother. Um, obviously a very tragic case uh, indeed. Mm. Um, and uh, you mentioned the signatures, the current signature, uh, I think, on the petition is around 65,000 wow. uh, mm. and growing, to be mm. honest. Mm. Um, first of all, it seems fairly... Um, 
uh, fairly obvious that the police seems to have closed the investigation so early. So this happened on the 27th, yeah. and the police uh, reportedly sort of um, uh, have said that there is no evidence to suggest that this was uh, anything other than uh, an accident. Um, for the police to have come to this conclusion, they sh- they, I assume they've gone through the investigation that Brother Arif talked about, yeah. and they've gone through the interviews and looked at the various evidence and so forth. But it seems fairly... Um, uh, it, it, there are some questions, unanswered questions, basically, mm. and mm. it seems that the investigation so, has been like fairly sort of swiftly closed uh, mm. uh, by the police. Uh, and the coroner, maybe you know, may, uh, has there has there been any sort of response from the coroner? Yeah. Um, that would be interesting too. But but I, I tell you what, social media is rife with comments and all sorts of comments. But 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 I tell you what, people are saying at the moment is if Shukri was a blonde-haired, blue-eyed mm. girl, the entire Britain would be in turmoil but no she's a black muslim somali girl and this is a systematic problem and just before i go back to the sisters george galloway what really happened to little shukri sounds like uh, a lot like a lynching all right so 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 sisters let, let me let me come back to you right you've heard uh, you know uh, uh, what, what i think is a reasonable response from brother arif we haven't got the police to represent okay and, and i understand the constraints and the resource challenges that police have and you know the number of cases that they have to deal with i've got a community perspective from brother tahir who's saying okay a valid point police seem to have really closed down this case quite quickly and by the sounds of it it definitely sounds like that right and i've seen the social media messages what, what are you sisters expecting next what, what are your demands um no it, before i get to the demands i would yeah. just like to reiterate one more point which is yeah shukri's mom has several times like she's reported to the school yeah. on numerous occasions that there was verbal and physical bullying now we have the school which is which has recently changed its name to broad broad oak um, sports college yeah denying going as far as denying of any reports being made in regards to bullying right that alone raises so many alarm bells Right, and 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 so does, the school does, has to acknowledge that they have failed Shukri. I mean, this is a school where a teacher had previously committed suicide yes. due to staff bullying. Yeah, and but, now the school is completely denying that Shukri's mom made any um, uh, reports of ongoing bullying. Right. So, so I mean, from from the comments that I have in front of me, apparently that the Broad Oak Sports College has launched an inquiry after campaigners alleged that the pupil was being bullied while attending the school. Is is that no longer the case? Then this inquiry. They've actually, um, they've actually um, issued a statement, not the school themselves, but on the BBC saying right. it's not linked to bullying. Right. And the school have now officially denied that any bullying has, has gone on. Mm. If I may just add on very briefly, right? Yeah. Um, Shukri's mother, I think just before December, went up to the school and said, my daughter was pushed onto oncoming traffic by the same group of kids who tend to bully her again and again. Mm. Now, I don't know what that sounds to me, but that sounds like to me a school in which failed to ensure that they safeguard their children. They right. told the mum, I'll do it two weeks after, and they've refused. So the issue may not necessarily be 100% up on the police, but one thing that is 100% certain in this case is that the school has failed to look after Shukri. Right, okay, I'm, I'm going to bring in a brother, brother Arif's got a question, very quickly and briefly. Yeah, just, I think the sister's made a very good point here. Mm. If, 
if we accept everything that's been said, okay, yeah, it's basically yeah. truthful and stuff. Clearly, clearly, there's safeguarding issues, right? There's, yeah. there's children safeguarding issues. The main question arises is what policies, procedures were in place, and the biggest question is accountability and yeah. integrity. Yeah. And I think that's what the petition is pretty much saying: saying, look, look at the circumstances, look at this 15-year-old girl. We need some serious answers to those yeah. questions. Yep. Yeah. So, so I guess it's a two, it's a two-way, yeah. uh, sisters Aisha, Ayan, and, and Surad. I mean, it's a two-way prong attack, isn't it? I mean, it's not only just the police reopening investigation, but also the school answering certain questions in terms of, you know, the failures uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, holding it accountable for, for not, you know, being able to safeguard this uh, this particular system. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. in in terms of I your mean, demands, what, what, what are your demands? Yeah, sorry, go on. Sorry, can you repeat that? So what, what what are your demands and at the moment are, are the demands more towards the police to reinvestigate to to, to open it's, up the case or also are, are you focused on in terms of the school? It's to be honest, all three in one. The first and foremost, we demand justice for Shukri and her family. Yeah. Because the reality is, Shukri's family came to this country for a better life, the yeah. better life to give her children a better opportunity and to actually get somewhere in life. That's why their mom brought them to this country. Yeah. Yeah. That was not the case. So we want yeah. justice for Shukri's family, especially Shukri's mom. Yeah. The second thing we demand is yeah. there to be no more bias in police investigations. Like right. um, my colleague said earlier, um, and she has said uh, on social media, if Shukri had been a blonde, blue-eyed girl, yeah. this, we would not be in the situation right now because it's been how many years and we're still investing so much money into finding Madeleine McCann and nothing yeah. has been done but Shukri uh, Abdi. Yeah. And the last thing we demand is policy reform. So no other children go through this or ever suffer uh, from cases like this. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Uh, I, th- I think those are f- fair, fair demands: justice, uh, bias stopping, and uh, policy reform. Uh, what, what are the evidences to suggest uh, a racist element in in, in this story, then, uh, sisters? Well, if you look at the people that are generally, um, I mean, for example, shook, for example, what, 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 was, what was the makeup of the school? You know, you know, what what is the evidence that you've gathered that it's suggests a predominantly white school? Right. And even um, the groups that are, have been bullying Shukri are predominantly white. Shukri was a, um, yeah. as we said, Somali, so black girl. She was a hijabi, she was a Muslim girl, and she was a refugee. Right, right. Yeah, okay. Something uh, that's not very common in that school. So, all right, so so what's the, what's the next steps for your campaign, just as a last question? Well, we're having a march uh, on Wednesday 17th. We're, we're starting off uh, at 2 o'clock in front of the Department of Education. That's in London, um, right? Kind of to march. Sorry? That's in London, right? Yes, in London. Right. Uh, we'll be starting up there to kind of reiterate that we're demanding policy reform, and especially with the fail that the school has um, basically failed took his life. Yeah. And we will be marching to Parliament Square and then finishing off at um, 10 Downing Street. Right. And, and the family will be... Yeah. Sorry, the family there will be issuing a statement. Uh, you know, it's quite a delicate time for them. Yeah. Time, but at the march, we'll be issuing a statement right in front of 10 Downing Street. Right. Kind of national stand against the fact that our, the schools are failing our kids in general and that's something we're fed up with and that's something we're looking to change right now. Right. Th- thank you. Thank you very much, sisters. So that's Aisha Ayan and Sirad from the organisers of the of the Justice for Shukri Abdi protest in London and Birmingham. Thank you very much for your time this evening and thank you for joining Friday Night Live. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Assalamualaikum.
All right, listen, that was the organizers of the Justice for Shukri Abdi's uh, case, uh, protests in London and Birmingham. And of course, this story actually involves a Greater Manchester, right? I mean, I, I, I wasn't aware of the story until, uh, you know, recently someone brought it to my attention. And, and when I read the story, I have to say it, it was uh, very distressing. And, and I've oft often said a lot of the stories that we cover on radio and media are very distressing. Final thoughts from, from you, Brother Tahir. Uh, and I, I completely agree with the sisters about the uh, reforms needed and so forth, which I think mm. is a long-term aim. But I think there is some short-term work to be done, which is that the some of the unanswered uh, questions about the police investigation and the uh, and the college's uh, failure to uh, register the complaints and, and keep a record of the complaints and yeah. so forth. Yeah. I think those uh, have to be investigated and looked yeah. into. Yeah. Uh, and until obviously those ones are done, then the case should not be closed. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that, brother Arif. Final, final comments? Yeah, okay. I, th I think there, there needs to be uh, open dialogue. I think the, the mm. GMP, some somebody from representative, needs to come out yeah. uh, and openly answer these questions. Uh, the you know, you know, pl the, the police. Is always a controversial <laughs> subject matter isn't it i mean it, it, it is a community service we're all paying for it we expect better service but there's another story that we're going to be covering later police police brutality i, I mean they don't have a very good pa right no, and uh, you know and, and a very good you know image you know in in the community and and, and it's always going to be the case that institutional racism the same kind of questions allegations and and, and they have to do a lot more to win the confidence of the of, of the community we're going to be covering that later I know you're quite keen to make a comment or two on that, on that brother Arif, right? Yeah. But let me just remind our listeners, uh, you know, this is Friday Night Live, and mashallah, I've got a, a fantastic lineup of panelists here in the studio, brother uh, Tahir Mahmoud and brother Arif. Uh, we were discussing uh, the case of Shukri Abdi, a 12-year-old Somalian sister who tragically lost her life, and her family and organizers are saying that she was a victim of potential racism and a victim of... Uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, what was it? Br not brutality. What was it? A victim of uh, uh, what was the word? Well, I think it's obviously uh, well, the uh, George Galloway word lynching, I think, was used. Lynching, uh, lynching. And I, would I, say I, that I don't think it's lynching at school. I was looking at a different word. It's completely, completely lost my mind, but it will come back to me, inshallah. When we come back, we're about to go into a commercial break, 30 seconds away from a commercial break. When we come back, we're going to be discussing the special US-UK relationship that's recently been a bit bit under, under, under stress after a leaking of uh, memos and a series of emails from from the uh, from the U UK ambassador in the US, so we're going to be covering that story and many more. So don't go away and do try to get involved, our listeners. I want to hear your thoughts with regards to police and the relationship between the community and the police. 01582481822 is the number here in the studio. Zero triple seven nine four eight one eight double two for your social media messages. We're going to go back. We're going to go into a commercial break. We'll be back then. Until then, assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Assalamu alaikum, this is Atif Nawaz and you're listening to an Inspire FM podcast. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back to Friday Night Live with me, Hafi Shaban, and, uh, and friends in the studio, brother Tahir Mahmood and brother Arif here in the studio. 01582481822 is the number here in the studio. 01582481822. 0779481822 for your 
for your SMS and for your WhatsApp messages. I really, really do want to listen to our our guests today, uh, but also our listeners and get some of your views and some of your thoughts because we we're going to be discussing, uh, you know, the police community relationship and that we're, we're going to be covering that, you know, not directly but indirectly as a result of two stories that we're covering, both involving police. Now, whilst we were away on the commercial break, we were having a conversation internally here in the studio. You know, what are the factors that are driving that, or or why is it that we have that particular type of relationship? Why is that the, the lack of you know confidence and and trust with the police? You know, some of the limitations that the police services have themselves. You know, we've got a brother here in the studio who's a former police officer, so he's got he's sharing his experiences. But I want to hear the community. I want to hear the community's experiences. And you know, this is your opportunity to speak to us. Oh one five eight two four eight one eight double two. We've also got Mashallah Tahir Mahmoud, who's a community activist. So I want to get his perspective on things too. Uh, and we're going to be moving on to our second story uh, this evening, inshallah ta'ala. And uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting story. It's a really interesting story. Uh, and, and this is uh, the British ambassador, right? The British ambassador to the US had to resign. Right, obviously he was cornered and he didn't have much of a choice, right, after a series of memos were leaked, right? So this so-called special relationship between the UK, US, uh, and also and there's been another special relationship that's been under the strain, and that's the UK and the UAE for a different reason altogether. But anyway, uh, one of these special relationships uh, been under, under the strain after the leak of these emails, and uh, the US, uh, the British ambassador to the US had to resign, Sir Kim. Doroch, right? Uh, the, the 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 emails that were leaked were now this is interesting, right? They were describing Donald Trump and his administration as inept and incompetent. Right. Uh, OK. Uh, and uh, OK. Quite scathing, you, you may say. But again, President Trump himself, he's not any stranger to making some really, really crude comments, scathing comments with regards to his opponents. Right. So he he tweeted back calling Sir Kim, the UK ambassador to the US, a very stupid guy. Right, a very stupid guy. And I did a very, very elementary search with regards to Trump. He's, he's well known for his, his comments. He's well known for the way he deals with media, his people he doesn't like. You know, take Sadiq Khan, uh, you know, uh, Sadiq Khan in, in, in London as an example. And the New York Times, in fact, lists almost 600 people, 600 people, 598 to be precise, people, places, and things Donald Trump has insulted on Twitter, right? 598 items. So when he's suddenly and his administration are insulted by the UK ambassador, he didn't like it. He didn't like it, right? And he called this guy a very stupid guy, right? So we've we've got a we've got a guest who's going to try to shed some light on what's happening, uh, what uh, uh, you know, maybe shedding some light on on the world of leaks. And and this world of leaks is no new element in terms of the political world. It's a very common you know strategy that is used when you want to get out some information to the media uh, and, and, and the timings and, and the leak is, is, a, is a mechanism that is used. But we've got John Brain, North America correspondent for International News Channel TRT. Well, John, welcome to Friday Night Live. Uh, help, help us explain what's been happening with this uh, email leak, John. 
Uh, well, as uh, you know, this has led to the resignation of yeah. the British ambassador, and the hunt is on for how these uh, rather tasty uh, missives were leaked. Mm. And there's two mm. possibilities. Uh, the way it works uh, from the ambassador here in Washington and uh, other embassies throughout the world is there are two types of messages. One are called diptels. These are diplomatic telegrams. And they're sent several times a week uh, from busy places like Washington. They get um, uh, quite a wide circulation within government, you know, the Home Office, the Foreign Office, other embassies, GCHQ, that sort of thing. Yeah. And then uh, ambassadors from time to time send much more personal letters, much more subjective analysis. Uh, those are sent to a more restricted group. Now, those, these would have contained the more inflammatory comments made by uh, say Kim and uh, so of course the question what uh, the authorities are doing now is trying to see who would have been included in that readership to try and find uh, the source of the leak if it was a leak mm. uh, the other possibility is that it could have been a foreign a hostile foreign state uh, as we know of course Russia meddled in the presidential elections here in the US uh, was it Russia trying to stir things up? Well, uh, we don't know. Right. Uh, one in, in possibly intriguing part of this is that the journalist who broke the story, uh, Isabel Oakshot, mm. has very close ties to the Brexiteers. Right. Uh, so there is one uh, theory is that uh, they may have been behind this. Yeah. All right. So, so you, you, you've raised uh, some interesting points, uh, m multiple points. I mean, l l let's go firstly with the nature of the leaks, right? And you said the hunt is on, right? Uh, and who leaked these bombshell memos and why? Firstly, in terms of the world of leaks, I mean, this is a common strategy that is used by politicians all the time, by governments all the time, right? To break news at a particular juncture, at particular times, under the cover of, of other bigger stories where, you know, unpalatable news you know is easy to actually you know digest and and to share with the with, with the public so it's, it's not a new thing is it it's not you're, you're right it is a, a common tactic of politicians but it's not mm. so usual uh, in in the terms of diplomacy mm. uh the it's really treated ambassadors uh, messages back to london are really supposed to be sacrosanct yeah uh, this is not normal at all mm. for this sort of thing to be leaked because if there if ambassadors think that their their messages might be leaked then they're going to be far more cautious yeah uh, they're going to be less likely to give their honest opinion of the country and the country's government in which they're working so this this goes beyond the norm. Yeah. This uh, this is involved. But, this isn't a politician, after all. Right. It's a, a respected civil servant, right. uh, which is why this has, has caused more ruction. Right. And it's not necessarily the content, hmm. uh, though. Of course, we know the president here, Donald Trump, has a very thin skin. It's hmm. the fact that. Uh, they've been made public yeah. uh, and of course now everyone's worried about the security of this type of messaging. Yeah, exactly because I was, was going to say, you, you said earlier subjective analysis that, you know these embassies provide and, and, and you know, uh, you know to, the, to the home governments, right? Uh, I, I mean, his, his comments were 
were were no different to you know what is being written you know quite quite consistently across global media right with regards to the administration and, and Trump himself in terms of incompetent the fact that it's obviously been hugely embarrassing uh, for the Trump administration that a very close ally is actually terming his administration and his leadership as incompetent and that's come to to, to the public domain I, I guess that's just just been a, a rather humiliating for for Trump and his administration to 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 kind of uh, you know digest yes what well, what you say i mean trump's not uh, he's no stranger to hearing these comments about him but they're usually from his political opponents and yeah. it's quite striking with a a senior British civil servant, and we we know how uh, you know how regimented uh, they are in their behaviour and how cautious they are in their language. Usually, should be using terms like inept and incompetent and dysfunctional. So yeah, uh, it's not surprising that uh, Donald Trump has reacted uh, the way he has. Uh, he, as, as I mentioned earlier, he's uh, got a very thin skin yeah, for yeah. criticism. And, uh, but but uh, what, 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 what is the proverb they say that those who live in uh, glass houses uh, shouldn't throw stones at others, right? So, I mean, he's got a very thin skin himself, right? But then he immediately twitters back uh, that calling Sir Kim a very stupid guy. I mean, uh, come on, come on, right? And then, you know, I was uh, I was referencing earlier, I mean, you know, if you, if you look at his track record over the last year plus since he's been, you know, the president president in the US I mean his his attack against media media organizations journalists you know other politicians is is unscathing and, and is, is uncompromising is, is it one rule for Trump and, and another for, for everyone else uh, well yes I, I think in some ways it probably is I mean yeah. Donald Trump's a, a, an interesting character he uh, does uh, he does override the, the, the more diplomatic niceties and if, if someone is praising him then he tends to praise that person back if someone's critical he his reaction is very, very predictable uh, yeah. he, he will lash out and that's what's happened with the kim but bear in mind um until the leak of these uh, messages the relationship between the two have been pretty good by all accounts right. uh, although as he's, he's been calling him a dumb guy now mm. uh, they the two of them have had i understand seven or eight meetings in the past and have gone on well, and uh, Sir Kim actually said that he found uh, Donald Trump very courteous. Uh, oh, really? This, this in, is in, uh, based upon the past relationship, was it? Yeah, yeah, they, they had a, uh. a good relationship. There, there was no, there were no problems yeah. until these leaks. Uh, but um, once the, the news came out, yeah, Donald Trump immediately yeah. uh, said that uh, that the ambassador was no longer welcome. Yeah, uh, in the Washington establishment. Yeah, I mean, I mean that that's very interesting. And then doesn't actually that right? I, I, I want to go to Tahir here, right? Doesn't that actually just just tell you exactly what politicians are? You know, up until a few we weeks ago, they had a fantastic relationship. You know, speaking very well of one another as the politicians too. But behind the back, we can clearly see that Sir Kim and his you know his perception and his understanding of the the Trump administration and Trump is completely the opposite of what he's actually been telling him probably on the face. And and that goes back to an underlying point, which is people just don't trust these politicians, do they? Indeed, uh, I think you're absolutely right. But I well, think yeah, you know the. 
the, uh, the the Trump case is this is a special one because um, normally politicians are slightly measured in their response when they hear some sort of criticism or something. They take yeah. their time to yeah. to see what the implications of their comments are. Mm. But Trump almost immediately, you know, starts calling um, Sir Kim uh, Derek uh, impossible, um, very stupid guy, pompous fool, and so forth. And then um, and th the latest in this one is that he now is, is saying that. Uh, that Sir Kim has been saying after the resignation, this yeah. is Sir Kim has been saying very good things about uh, uh, about about him, and the fact that this, these comments were directed at other people within the White House. Right. So, mm. um, so this is the inconsistency with Donald Trump um, mm. and his comments. Um, it's just very, very difficult to. I can imagine it must be very difficult to deal with the guy. Um, right. But uh, going back to your point, John, earlier that you were saying, I mean, well, what is the source and what is the reason for the leaks, right? I was reading in, in, in a number of uh, different correspondences that the cables were an exacting uh, or exacting revenge over the ambassador's alleged failure to promote a pro-Brexit Britain in Washington. Yeah, well, this is what I, I was referring to uh, when I mentioned Isabel Oakshon, mm. journalist who broke the story. Uh, she has got very close links with Brexiteers. Uh, the Brexiteers, of course, are desperate for a good relationship with America yeah. if and when uh, the UK does leave the European Union. I thought they already had and, a very uh, good relationship with uh, John. I thought they already, already had a quite a positive relationship with uh, with with Trump in, in terms of Mr. Farage and, and co all the, the, the known Brexiteers having a good and cordial relationship with Trump. Isn't that the case? Well, exactly. exactly, mm. uh, And that's why uh, that that the Brexiteers would like an ambassador who uh, fits more with their worldview. Uh, um, Kim was uh, a Europhile. He'd actually right. spent several years uh, as the ambassador in Europe. Right. So uh, they, you know, this is all a little bit conspiracy theory. Oh, is the, it? Okay, the, I, I see where you're going the now. Theories is mm. One of the theories being touted is that uh, this was a deliberate attempt to get uh, rid of someone who's pro-Europe uh, in the hope that the new Prime Minister, who is assumed to be going to be Boris Johnson, mm. would put in someone more Brexit-friendly who would get on better with the, the US administration and, and get on and crack on, help them with the trade deal. Mm. Uh, so, so, well, we'll have to see who the replacement is for Sir yeah. Kim, right. uh, but that may even give us some clues. Yeah. All right. Okay. John Bryan, thank you very much. Uh, North America correspondent for International News Channel TRT World. Thank you very much for joining us on Friday Night Live and giving us your perspective on this story. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye. Bye bye. Right, so listeners, that was uh, John Bryan. Uh, I don't think this might have been a story that our listeners are too fascinated by, but nevertheless, uh, we, thought, we thought we'll cover it. It was quite a, an interesting uh, conversation and, and an interesting series of events that happened between uh, the US and, and UK. As I said, that's, that, that special relationship being tainted uh, and strained. Well, not tainted, but strained. And uh, it was almost, right, untenable for that position to for, for him to continue after that those leaks came out that 
what, what, what do you think? I mean, it, it was, it, especially when Trump then came back and made those comments, right? Uh, that he's a very stupid guy, and, and, and that's it. It was almost, you know, the, the writing was on the wall, right? Um, not really. I think uh, I think even after those comments, uh, Sir Kim could have stayed in the role. But mm. I think the uh, the the main uh, driver for his resignation was the uh, the lack of support from uh, future PM. Mm. Um, so I think. Uh, I think, as John was pointing out, perhaps there is some sort of uh, some some reason behind his uh, his resignation, mm. and we'll find out exactly when some when the new one is appointed and see right. what his uh, alliances are. Right, we're we're going to be moving on to the next story very soon, right? But you know, it, it was something that came, you know came to my mind quite immediately was you know this whole idea of freedom of speech that they they often talk about, right? And and here, I, I guess when you're looking at it in 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 the political domain and and the the diplomatic domain, then it has an altogether different meaning and. In different interpretation and then you're working within a very you know kind of a confined space of what can be said and what can't be said publicly but he has a he, like it like, like uh, our guest was saying John Brain very th- thin skin uh, very thin skin right and uh, not not op- open to any any cr- accepting any criticism at all uh, brother Arif yeah that's that's one aspect of it but the other aspect i've got yeah. to bring up brother, is who is doing that password security yeah. who is doing that password security but we've gone past the days of qwerty now yeah. do you know what i mean they're asking like what school you went to and you know your favorite color your mum's someone knows all that sort of stuff he needs to get that changed but from another from, from another point of view um it's surprising and i think what the issue there was when something is written down and somebody says something bad about you, you can't deny it because that's that's what you've written down. And if I said you're inept, you know, what do you say? Inept, incompetent and dysfunctional. Yeah. It doesn't matter what our relationship is, you you wanna have your you wanna have a bit of revenge, bit of revenge pie at the end of the day. And that's exactly what's happened. And no prime minister is gonna back a minister who basically says, Well, I think you're right in calling him inept, dysfunctional, uh, because you're you're saying that against uh, Yeah, I mean I mean they could they couldn't they couldn't say that publicly, but no. uh, but I'm well, sure they they're, they're exchanging far, closed far, doors. Far, far, yeah, exactly. Far more greater the details than that. Okay, let's Let's move on to the next story because we've got our next guest already online, uh, and and this is a story uh, of a, a local conference that's been going on uh, in in Luton, I believe, right? So I believe it's in Luton, uh, and the conference was on child sexual exploitation, right? So this we we have got Tony Thompson, hopefully, uh, online uh, from the who's the co-chair of Faces, which is a faith against child sexual exploitation. Tony, uh, welcome to Friday Night Live. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm pleased to be on. Uh, fantastic. Uh, great to have you also. Right, so I, I believe I've, I've just been given a, a, a very short briefing uh, that this was uh, a, a conference that took place recently in Luton, was it, on, on child sexual exploitation? That's right. Uh, it happened last night at Chorley Girls. Oh, l- last night. Okay, v- very, very recent. So, Faith Against Child Exploitation. Tell us what were the objectives of this conference, what were, what was discussed, and, and what were the outcomes in, in, in just a few few minutes, if you may. Okay, I certainly shall. The Faces is really trying to say that faith is part of the solution for child sexual exploitation, hmm. but often it's presented as the problem. And it's a joint Christian-Muslim venture where we're saying our faith, our resilience of faith, 
enables us to withstand child sexual exploitation. Hmm. The particular focus of last night's conference was about the faces we don't often see. And the premise was that our prejudice can often mean that we don't see uh, child sexual exploitation and abuse when it's happening. And we had uh, various different speakers talking about different things, but in particular uh, saying that there's lots of child sexual exploitation um, amongst kids in minority backgrounds, but we, we don't see it. And um. we talk about uh, hidden people, but the point is that who they're hidden by, they're not hiding themselves. It's mm. the fact that the, the authorities aren't looking hard enough. Right. And yeah, yeah, yeah. T Tony. Now, in terms of the faith being a solution, I mean, I, I, I get, yeah. I, I, I get that because, of course, it's about challenging the the mentality, right, of these people yeah. who are, you know, seeking to exploit, right, because, but because it is the mindset of of certain individuals. In, in the communities out there, in society out there, which, you know, allows them to think, right, that they can go and they can exploit for their own self-gratification, uh, for their own benefit, and, and so forth. And faith, of course, will challenge that kind of mindset, right? But but what, what was there, was there anything discussed in terms of, you know, the vulnerable children themselves and uh, what can be done to address and, and support the vulnerable element of of uh, uh, of the community out there uh, yes there was a, I, I went to one of the seminars where uh, there was an expert there who was saying that we need to uh, see beyond what's presented and mm. often we are label someone as vulnerable and but without really understanding the person themselves mm. and that we can even just and it's the prejudice that stops us being able to see the truth, the, the, the full person. And that uh, we need to get to know people, understand them. And sometimes uh, th there's a blame culture as well, yeah. such that somebody is actually being abused mm. and is being standing up to it or being disturbed in the midst of it all but they're being blamed for it mm, and so mm. so much is about listening and being available to listen all right you, you know tony i mean it's, it's a really interesting concept and i would love to speak to you a bit more but uh, you know unfortunately i've got about four minutes remaining right which is faith being a solution i mean whether it's exploitation whether it's cr you know crime in, in our societies whether it's you know you know other a lot of the ep ep you know problems that we have you know you know youth gang violence you know knife crime etc faith often yep. i find it's a fantastic mechanism of actually challenging that you know mentality that exists in a lot of you know our children out there and and then you the society doesn't necessarily help does it when you know you're sexualizing yep. everything and everything is a commodity right and it's all about self-gratification yep. and there's no accountability no value no respect no human element that's actually propagated and, and, and advanced and it's more of a everything is a sexual commodity and everything's out there to to, to enjoy and, it, and it's faith that puts things into perspective right whether it's you know yeah. you've been able to own something buy something you know possess something or, or, or whatever it is absolutely and and that's one of the the things that we found as as christians and muslims working mm. together mm. realizing that we've got so much in common yeah. and it 
uh, it presents something to our society as a whole uh, that we are refusing to be divided, but that we can have uh, so much in common. And doing something like working together on knife crime, child sexual exploitation, mm. or whatever, yeah. we can present a united faith perspective that challenges the, the assumptions that are made in society as a whole. Right. So, so what are the, some of the proactive initiatives that we, uh, that you've 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 come up with in terms of a strategy that we're going to be taking? Of course, this conference itself, happening in Luton, wasn't a reactive uh, initiative. It was a proactive initiative itself. I, I guess you will tell me well, what are the other kind of steps that we're going to be taking uh, as part of this uh, initiative. So, so we have been uh, training uh, faith leaders to spot signs of of greening, uh, grooming, right. um, and there are ongoing. Uh, training sessions on that we've been doing and put together courses of looking at prejudice and helping see helpful people to see beyond their prejudice and how that can blind them to what's happening uh, with abuse and we have been going into schools mosques and church groups training and teaching young people to 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 embrace their identity and to uh, withstand grooming and to uh, to be protected Um, the additional interesting thing we've got some funding and we're working with the university of bedfordshire doing some uh, groundbreaking research on uh the attitude of young people from faith communities to relationship and sexual education and asking the question, how effective are we Mm. as faith groups in uh, teaching uh, truths to our young people? Or are they getting all that input from uh, the secular society? around us. Fantastic. Tony Thompson, unfortunately, we've got to leave it there. Thank you very much for joining us and and, and briefing us with regards to the conference. Uh, Tony Thompson, co-chair of FACES, Faith Against Child Sexual Exploitation. Thank you very much for for your time this evening. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Great. Bye-bye. Okay, that was, uh, listeners, uh, Tony Thompson, uh, Child Exploitation. I, w- I want to continue that conversation when we come back from the commercial break with uh, Brother Tahir Mahmoud and with Brother Arif. And I want to get your perspective on things in terms of how we challenge that mindset mentality. I, wanna, I want you to think about some of the, the initiatives that you may have been involved in, the mentality that is out there in, in our community or some members of the community and where that comes from in terms of society. But we'll discuss that when we come back. We are going to go into a commercial break. Listeners, this is Friday Night Live with me, Hafi Shaban. We're back after the commercial break. Don't go away. You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu and welcome back to Friday Night Live with me, Hafi Shaban, and my fellow co-panelists here in the studio, Brother Tahir Mahmood and Brother Arif, who I will be going out to very shortly. But before I do go and reach out to them for their thoughts on the last story that we were covering, I want to also reach out to my listeners, 015824818822. We've covered a number of stories, I am pretty sure... You've got an opinion. 
Alright, 01582481822, you must have an opinion. And the next topic that we're going to be covering, you've definitely got a, an opinion, right? So you need to know the number. 0779481822 is, is the number for your SMS messages, your WhatsApp messages, and you can completely remain anonymous. We won't announce your name. You can come, uh, come on air. Or send a social media message and you know just make your points of view clear uh, and you know I'll happily and happily share that with with our listeners right uh, but before we go on to our next story I want to bring in uh, brother uh, Tahir Mahmood uh, brother Arif right and I just want to pick up your uh, your minds pick pick your thoughts with regards to the last story it wasn't a, a kind of a fully flagged uh, or, or a, f- a full flagship kind of a story that we were covering this evening here in the studio it was a side story uh, that we were covering, and that's of course a conference that was happening in Luton on uh, on child sexual exploitation. And I, and I liked the theme. I liked the theme. I liked the initiative, faith, right, and how faith can address right this mentality, this attitude uh, that may exist even in a few elements of our society, our community of, you know, child exploitation, for example. And you can extend it to other problems that exist in our communities, in our societies, and how faith can address that. Right, Brother Tahir, in terms of challenging that thinking, those attitudes, what, 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 what were your thoughts when you were listening to uh, to, to Tony Thompson earlier? Um, very, very good, actually. I mean, making some uh, very good points about how um, faith, and particularly in our case, Islam, addresses the uh, child sexual exploitation. And um, and one of the points that uh, I just want to pick up on uh, that Tony made was the uh, the fact that you know sort of questions about where are the where are the children getting their information from mm. uh, in terms of about uh, you know I mean sexuality is everywhere you know yeah. sort of messages are completely out there schools now in terms of the SRE are um, are starting to will be teaching sexual and uh, relationship education as well mm. and there are external organizations that are going to be uh, possibly going into some schools to um, to kind of address or to help the schools in uh, in this sort of education as it were mm. um, and we need groups like this to actually start doing this work with schools, with it, um, f- with community groups, to to say, well, that's not the right solution. The, you know, faith mm. has a solution. Faith mm. has a um, is able to address these issues, mm. and we need to um, get out there and do some more work in terms of what faith can do mm. compared to what uh, secular, secular education, secular yeah. ed- education can yeah. provide. Yeah. Uh, and we know what secular education provide yeah. can provide, and we've you know we know the records in schools in terms yeah. of their uh, um, the pregnancy rates and various other yeah. issues that are addressing yeah. many schools up and down the country. Se- secular education, I mean, they would argue, well, we're trying to build your responsibility, we're trying to build understanding, we're trying to build uh, you know early knowledge of these relationships that exist, right? But then you're saying that's in a secular framework, which is about enjoyment, which is about doing what you 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 feel like or you think that that is good and it lacks accountability lacks responsibility lacks the kind of human element of it which is respect and hu- humanity and, and and that's that's the key thing i think where faith actually will build those bridges and build those concepts right within an individual where secular liberalism perhaps won't or that kind of education is is that where you're coming from absolutely absolutely mm. and i think you know sort of um the the, the this group and uh, and our other sort of 
groups like mm. massages and various mm. other things. I think we need to start building on this um, on this concept that faith can address many of these issues yeah. um, and not let the, these this the education and the sexual ex- exploitation education be left to schools mm. and organizations that perhaps have a different agenda to promote. Right. Uh, and so immense amount of work needs to be done, I think, by yeah. the community uh, in this area. All right. Let, let me quickly bring in Brother Arif briefly, if you may, Brother Arif, right? Because we've got Zita Holborn, who's our next guest, right, on, on the line, waiting eagerly to, to speak on, on the next topic uh, that we're going to be covering this evening, right? Uh, some practical steps that are, that are happening, some practical initiatives that are happening in our community to to really use faith, use Islam, uh, you know, it would, uh, to really bring up, you know, a, a 360 degree personality as opposed to, a, you know, a 100 degree personality which understands just how to read the Quran in a parrot fashion but doesn't understand the faith, doesn't understand value, doesn't understand humanity, doesn't understand respect, da 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 da, da and can challenge the kind of secular, you know, you know, messages that, you know, we're getting out there in society which is sexual exploitation not exploitation but you know sexualization and com- uh, commodity you know you know you know ev- everywhere in, in, in society yeah okay a C- couple of interesting things I think I think the the caller before was great because um, interfaith dialogue is saying look we've got issues that are happening in society let's all sit down Christian Muslim Hindu Sikh Buddhist atheist agnostic whoever you are whatever we are let's sit down and actually resolve those issues um, um, and it's good to actually see that but it has to start from within home um, I think religion if we if we lose think of it from from an islamic point of view i think it's a three-tier solution i think the first thing you've got to do you've got to build families the second thing you've got to do is build communities and the third thing you've got to do is literally get out there and get involved in environmental projects something that's going to get you not just sticking with muslims but with other like-minded people because when you stick with like-minded people you're going to learn to be human you're going to learn compassion and that right. i think is a pretty much stepping stone all right, thank you very much. Okay, we're going to move on to the next story now. The next story is, you know, on the back end of this uh, violent arrest, right? A violent arrest of a man in East London has been referred to Police Professional Standards Unit. Now, a lot of you, and, and, and normally, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, the first source of hearing such stories is often a video that gets shared around via social media uh, where you see something like this happening and this was a, indeed a video of a 38 year old man suffered a se- suffering a seizure during violent arrest where you've got a number of police officers around this poor individual I'm gonna go straight to Zeta Holborn who's very been very patient and been holding on for the last couple of minutes now Zeta is the national chair uh, and co-founder of of uh, Lawyers for Justice. Zita, welcome to Friday Night Live and thank you very much for patiently holding on. Tell us about what's, you, tell us about what's been happening in this video that's been shared around, which is allegedly right sharing or showing this violent arrest of, of this man in East London uh, and has been refer- referred to the Police Professional Standards Unit. I think it's a really horrific situation. I've seen... Um, uh, so a number of videos showing what happened, uh, right. including before when the police were first speaking to him, and um, also some eyewitness accounts of what they saw and heard. Um, and it just seems like a completely unprovoked attack on him. 
There was no reason for them to do what they did. Further investigation has shown that he was more or less in a disabled parking spot. And, of course, he had a blue badge. He had a severely disabled, very young child, and he was entitled to park there. I think the police hadn't um, thought about the fact that, that there was this disabled spot. And when he told them that and showed that he had a blue badge, they couldn't find anything else to pin on him, and they just decided to attack him. He, of course, was trying to stand his ground and say he's entitled to park there. Um, and they um, started to arrest him and really horrifically attacked him. I mean, there were three of them on him, uh, sitting on different parts of his body. Um, and, you know, he was calling out for help. The screams from his wife, you know, were really, really traumatizing to watch. I found it so disturbing and upsetting mm -hmm. um, to even watch that video, even though I've seen footage of some horrific attacks in my time as a, yeah. a campaigner and activist. I found that really horrific. They had no humanity whatsoever. And when he went into a seizure, what we see is they didn't even notice that he'd gone into a seizure. Mm -hmm. Eyewitnesses, people that were there trying to intervene and tell him to get off telling the police to get off him had to say look he's going into a seizure you need to stop and they still continue to beat him wow. and wow. Um, hold him down right. um, and I just think that there is no other reason you could give to explain what right. they did right. other than racism. Right. Okay. So, so we're going to be, uh, you know, opening up this 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 subject matter, right? And so, so whilst this case is a is, is an indication and yet another story, adding to the, this huge issue of police brutality, institutional racism, and, and what we, we're seeing here. First and foremost, before we, we dive into that, uh, do, I, are you actually in touch, Zita, with, with the family at all? Do, do you know how, how this, uh, this individual, this, this gentleman, this Muslim man, is actually doing following that, that incident? Uh, do, you, do you have an update at all? I'm not in direct touch with his family, right. um, but I am in touch with community members right. who are in touch. Right. And... Um, I understand that he was taken to hospital. He had a head injury. Right. However, he was taken from hospital and arrested and held in custody. And I think that's absolutely horrendous. And he's been held in custody on the basis that he assaulted police officers. Can you imagine? He has what? Sorry? Assaulted? Brutalizing. Yes, he's been right. charged with that's assaulting incredible. police officers, wow. Wow. which is absolutely horrendous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's just absolutely incredible. Incredible, absolutely incredible. Now, I, I have in the studio, I've got a community activist in the studio. I've got a former police officer here in the studio, too, who, who happens to be here. And earlier, we were covering a, another story uh, of, of in Greater Manchester. But again, some some similar kind of, you know, uh, in, insinuations and, and similar kind of allegations being made against the police. I mean, you are the national chair right, and co-founder of Lawyers for Justice, right? I mean, is... How, how, it's, it's been decades that we've, we've been discussing police, you know, institutional racism uh, and, and, you know, citing this, you know, similar examples. Have we not got, been able to get to the bottom of it and, and, and address this particular issue? And, and are we not getting a lot better or is the problem no better than it was, you know, 10, 15 years ago, Zita? 
Okay, things are not getting better. Just to, just to clarify, I'm the National Chair of Barrack UK right. and a founding member of BAME Lawyers for Justice. Okay. I don't think things have got better. I think actually in 10 years of um, the Tory government and uh, um, what we've seen is it, it increased and deepened racism, mm. which has been amplified by austerity and poverty. We know that the police forces are still institutional racism. There's been more than one review following the Stephen Lawrence inquiry, you know, 10 years later, um, and so on. And all the recommendations of the Stephen Lawrence uh, inquiry, the McPherson report, haven't been carried out. And, you know, young black and Muslim and Asian people, black and brown people, are still up to 32 times more likely to be stopped and searched than their white counterparts. You know, we've seen effectively a return of the sus laws. So things aren't getting better. They're actually getting worse, which is pretty horrendous. But in this day and age, you know, we've had our parents, we've seen the Windrush generation hmm. come, which is, you know, people from across Commonwealth countries. African, Caribbean, and Asian people who made their, their lives here, raised their families, contributed to society, contributed to the economy, and now their children and grandchildren are having to face this absolutely horrific level of racism all over again. Mm. And, and in terms of your particular initiatives and, and, and campaigns, right? I mean, you're finding, of course, you're saying it's got not, it's, it hasn't got better. It's worse or the same, if 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 not if not worse. Uh, what are some of the steps that have been taken? Okay, we've had all of these query, you know inquiries. We've had a huge you know high publicized uh, examples and, and cases which have really touched the imagination and the sentiments of the uh, the society by and large. Right? Uh, what are what are you finding in terms of the campaign and, and the response that you're receiving from you know the, these ethnic minority communities? Um, Zita. Literally, we have people contacting us, crying out for help every mm. single day. And the fact that we're made up of grassroots organizations, volunteers, people giving up their own time on top of their, you know, full-time jobs mm. um, and other responsibilities they have in the community, we can't cope with the demands, you know, that's coming through. So many miscarriages of justice, so many human rights cases, immigration cases, race discrimination at work, in service provision, you know, in the criminal justice system. There are more young black people in prison, and I'm using black in the broadest political sense, of yeah. black and brown people, yeah. Yeah. than there are in universities. Um, wow. You know, this, mm. this is a, a huge epidemic that's impacting on our communities. And to, to be honest, what we need is actually people to mobilize, to organize, to come together. We need to all work together, which is why BME Lawyers is a, an umbrella organization mm. of race justice organizations, which includes the Asian, um, Muslim and black lawyers associations and societies, as well as Operation mm. Black Book. Backstops mm. and Barrack UK, um, Windrush Justice campaigns, migrant mm. rights groups across the country, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to come together to have a you know a collective response to what's happening. Mm. But in terms of you know individual cases, yeah. the, 
we can't even keep up with the demands yeah. of the yeah. number of people that are coming forward. We just feel distraught, you know, feel hopeless, feel drained of having to fight and fight and fight their uh, corner uh, just to be treated as an yeah. equal citizen in no, UK society. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, you pit a very deep and you know endemic problem, almost you know, within the DNA of of the society and and the system that we're living in, right? Uh, I hear yeah. in terms of the problems. I hear that the problems are increasing. I hear the fact that there, there is mobilisation. Is is it the case that you know that these individuals almost feel like that they they're going to be able to get away because 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 of the exact predicament that you've just outlined, which is the resourcing and the support mechanism completely outweighs you know the de- demand, the proportion you know the the relation is is completely you know uh, you know the the balance is is completely up, upside down. Right, so therefore, you know, the, yeah. the people like this are almost feel that they'll probably get away, and the chances of them actually being, you know, held to account is very minimal in comparison with, you know, the amount of cases that there are out there. Do, do you think that's yeah, a, that mean, does a contributing factor? Well, yeah, we're, we're dealing with institutional racism, mm. the structural racism, as well as direct racist attacks, hate crimes, and actually, because we've seen this, you know, over a decade of racist policies and laws introduced by the government which has um, been fueled by media uh, has led to the rise of the far right and new far right groups not just in the UK across Europe in America you've got Trump you know so this is a global phenomenon it's yeah. not just a UK um, thing yeah. that has emboldened those people that hold racist views mm. to feel actually they can go out and express them right. you know that there's lip service paid to equality legislation Um, you know access to legal aid means that the poorest people the people that are most likely to face injustice have Mm. the least access to justice because they can't afford top lawyers and barristers to fight their case right all right so i I want to bring in my my guests and and my panelists that i've got in the studio also zita if i may right so i've I've got a tahir mahmoud community activist i've got brother arif who's a a former uh, ex-police officer and also a community care officer right a lot of experience in terms of both of these individuals working in the communities. Uh, Brother Tahir Mahmoud, I want to I come to yourself first, right? So a pretty damning indictment and, and, and uh, a picture that Zita, you know, paints across the, the country. You've seen the video. We've seen a number of different similar kind of videos, right? Uh, from, from a community perspective, right? How do we go about, right, you know, addressing this institutional racism, you know, this relationship with the police, right? Uh, and how do we, you know, you know, go about, you know, ensuring that, you know, our community is, you know, kind of protected, right? And, you know, in, in a far better way, because this is just down the road in terms of what's happening. And, and this East London, I mean, it's got a huge ethnic minority population there. And it can happen right in the heart of it. Poplar, I believe, is, is where it happened. You know, Whitechapel, you know, East London, just down the road. So it's, it's incredible that in the heart of a, a, such an ethnic minority community, something like that, that can happen right under your noses. Um, absolutely. I think, you know, sort of, um, and I completely agree. I think this is just a symptom of the uh, of the wider issues mm. affecting UK, especially the, the rise of the far right and yeah. which emboldens um, people, uh, police officers as well, you know, they're human, yeah. uh, 
to take action uh, where perhaps they shouldn't take action mm. uh, and especially in this case um, mm. you know where um, you can see uh, and I've seen the video and it is, it is pretty horrific video the the issue that the police were trying to address was a uh, an obstruction uh, and uh, what they end up doing is uh, arresting a, a man in a pretty uh, aggressive sort of way yeah. and uh, handling it in a pretty sort of aggressive way and then, then mm. To be honest, when you watch the video, you can you can sort of see uh, absolutely no uh, give in the police's attitude in terms of the way they address this man. And you wonder whether um, perhaps, you know, he would have uh, been dealt differently if he was uh, a, from a different community. It's exactly the same question we were asking earlier. If, if that 12-year-old that was found in the river, she had happened to be white, the attitude of the police would have been completely different from the fact that she was a Somali black Muslim girl. And that's the point that is being made. And I think those the, the statistics that Zeta was, was quoting earlier is exactly the indicative. It's, it's an endemic in society. I mean, the politicians, Zeta, coming back to yourself, I mean, it, it's no, it's not bottom up, is it? Is you know, bottom up? It's top down, isn't it? In terms of this, 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 uh, the, the, this, the ideas in society. So a top down meaning is at the polit a political level that these ideas are, you know, being driven, being discussed, contextualized in the way they are, and that's fueling the fire in society. Absolutely. Um, you know, the Tory government mm. don't care about any working class people. But if you're working class and you're black, brown, Muslim, um, you know, living in poverty, what they're trying to do is just tread on us and drive us, you know, deeper and deeper into the ground. You know, effectively trying to kill us through austerity, poverty, racism. They don't think about all the impacts of, um, you know, post-traumatic stress on mm. whole generations of people, these things happening um, to us. It's a really horrendous um, situation that um, we're facing. And, so, and it, you know, it's being driven right. um, from the top, and that actually empowers everybody yeah. else. Ab to say, okay, well, if politicians yeah. are saying and doing these things, yeah. then we can. It's going to be acceptable for us. L last quick question for you, Zita, before I go to my, my, my panelists in, in the studio. Is it a problem that this society and this ideology will ever be able to resolve? Doesn't mean the fact that we, we become passive and we don't be, we don't remain active or become more proactive, but just a, a kind of almost an academic question, if not an ideological question, with the mentality, with the with the ideology that's being propagated top down, is is, is it a genuine desire to actually address this issue and, and resolve it once and for all? Absolutely, I think the. The people that are against all these multiple oppressions that mm. we're facing, mm. we make up the majority. Yeah. So if we came together with disabled people, yeah. with women, mm. you know, with young people, older mm. people, black mm. and brown people, actually we are the majority. What we need to do, which is why I was saying we need to come together. We can't afford to be yeah. divided and ruled. Yeah, That's what yeah. they want to happen. Yeah. So that, you know, what they try and do is scapegoat us and say, well, you know, those people over there, those people of migrants coming into the country that are the, to blame, you know, for lack of housing, for lack of jobs and so on. And that fuels this climate where 
hatred can thrive and people think it's okay. Okay. Police think it's okay to brutalize somebody like that. People right. think it's okay to spit and pull up a hijab yes. from a, a you know, woman on the street. This um, creates this society. And so we have to say, we're not going to accept that. We're going to speak out. We're going right. to stand up mm. and we're going to stand up together because actually our silence empowers people that hold that view. When we call it out and when we stand together, then we make up the majority Right. and then they don't have that power. We have to claim back that power Fantastic. collectively. Z power. Zita, on that very, very high and positive note, Zita Holborn, thank you very much for joining us on Friday Night Live and, and for sharing your fantastic thank thoughts. Thank you for inviting Thank you very on. much, uh, Zita. Right, okay, I, I know, Brother Arif, you've been holding on and you've been very patient, <laughs> right? Uh, we've only got about two minutes. I'm going to get your thoughts in t for the next two minutes. And when we come back from the commercial break, I want to continue with this conversation for the next 10 minutes. I want to really explore it a bit further and do a bit of justice, but but a minute and a, a well, minute and a half. Okay, so we're talking about God, institutional racism across all departments, all organisations. There's there's what we can actually prove as institutional racism. There's what we perceive as to be institutional racism. Then they're two different things. I mean, tell me about, so, your, tell me yeah, about your experiences. Yeah, you, you were yeah, twenty years in in, yeah, in the police, right? Yeah. Uh, where was that? Was that in? Uh, I was in London. In London. Yeah, yeah. It's what, not, what yeah. Were your I, I will tell you. <laughs> I will tell you. How can I take twenty <laughs> years? Two, two, can I take minutes. twenty years in two things? Yeah. Right, uh, what I will say is that yes, there. We'll, we'll come back and we'll continue okay, to discuss all right. it. Right. So okay, we're going to go into a commercial break. Oh, and, and hold this thought. Hold the thought now. Don't go away. Go make it tease. So I'll. I want to I want to continue discussing this for at least 10 minutes right when we come back 10 15 minutes uh, you know let's try to do some justice get yeah, your yeah, experiences absolutely. into it right uh, because you know our listeners can also hear from first hand experiences right in terms of what what's what's happening and how it's like to be on the other side of the of the fence but but anyway uh, we're about to go into a commercial break listeners this is Friday night live and you're with me Hafiz Shaban and plus my guests in the studio Tahir Mahmood and have I got the name right? Tahir Mahmood? Yes, Tahir Mahmood and brother Arif here in the studio. We're going to be going into a commercial break. When we come back, we are discussing police brutality. Now, do not tell me you don't have a view <laughs> on police brutality. 01582481822. I want to hear you in the studio. 01582481822. 777 We're going to go into commercial break. We'll be back in three or four minutes. Time. Don't go away. Assalamu alaikum, this is Atif Nawaz. Listen to Inspire FM shows in your time by heading over to inspirefm.org or listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to Friday Night Live uh, with me, Hafi Shaban, uh, and with, with, with my panelists and, and guests here in the studio, Brother Tahir Mahmood and Brother Arif. We are broadcasting as usual on 105.1 FM uh, from Luton and across our sister stations nationally and also via Facebook live stream. Uh, been an interesting, very interesting hour and a half where we've discussed a number of stories, four stories already covered and we've got a fifth story that we must cover in the last 15 odd minutes uh, but before we get on to our last final story of the evening which is about the Urga Muslims 
of China. All right. Uh, I want to go back to the last story that we were covering, which was the pr- police brutality and, and and this video that's gone spiral viral spiral viral of a man sent to hospital, a Muslim man sent to hospital during an arrest that happened in East London, and we were discussing police brutality with Zita Holborn, who's the national chair and co-founder of Lawyers for Justice, right? And this happened in popular East London. We were discussing police brutality, and I've got two. I'm not gonna. Uh, okay, not not necessarily experts, but you know, community activists, right? And a former police officer, and also a community care officer here in the studio, and I want to get their perspectives on things, right? Before I go to the brothers in the studio, I want to reach out to my listeners one final time, right? 01582481822 your experiences of police brutality interaction with the police have you got the confidence in terms of the police force if not why not your confidence with regards to the politicians and the comments that they make right top down bottom up we were discussing earlier but i want to go first with brother arif you've got a couple of minutes brother arif you heard what zita was saying you've seen the video Sum it up for me in terms of also including your experiences as a as a former police officer. Right. Okay. So I'm going to try and do 20 years in four minutes to <laughs> discuss the things yeah. we've seen in the video. Right. Yeah. Okay. Let's just um, address the first thing. The video. There's obviously two sides of the yeah, story, right? Absolutely. There's obviously the, the police side, yeah. and then there's the yeah. social media yeah. side. Yeah. Now, with the social media side, obviously we've got what's called excessive force. People are saying, "Look, was yeah. the arrest lawful? Was yeah. it necessary? As an excessive?" Yeah. Now, I'm glad to see that. Um, the police uh, what do you call it? the police uh, standards department yeah. professional standards department yeah. sorry are looking at what they're going to look they can basically look at two issues number one was the arrest lawful justified mm. proportionate yeah. uh, and secondly that they're going to look at is was the force reasonable Right, that's the the two issues that they're going to look at, Um, and then they will then decide. Well, was it lawful? Yes, we think it was lawful because the officers were justified. Although Mm. you and I may agree because we've seen it, Uh, and was the force reasonable? That's that's very subjective. So that's Mm. that's a decision Mm. for them to make. that that will go on its course and i'm right. glad that people have seen that because yeah. that brings it up yeah. right yeah. so yeah. there's evidence and you can't right. contradict that right. uh, personal experiences yes i was there when um not physically when Stephen yeah. lawrence was stabbed yeah. but i was obviously yeah. there when when they conducted the report i i served from 1993 to 2012. Mm. um summary was or is the police racist was it institutionally racist yes Mm. Yes, one one hundred percent, without mm. a shadow of a doubt. Mm. Um, I could give you the examples where certainly you had uh, Asian and black officers were probably three times, four times more likely to be disciplined mm. than say uh, other white colleagues. Mm. Mm. You'd have um, white colleagues who were probably three to four times more likely to go for promotion mm. than they would do say black and Asian yeah, officers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that's not to say that you're not going to get high uh, Asian officers in the police force yeah. um, a classic one was when, when I was there, Tarek Gafur was Correct. the assistant commissioner yes. uh, and then what did he say he, he towards the end of his service basically turned around and said I've got a dossier on everything <laughs> because I can pretty much <laughs> yeah. prove that my whole length of service um, uh, the, the police was 
racist towards yeah. me. Yeah, and yeah. what did the police do? They said, okay, Mr. Tarrant, best you don't wash your dirty laundry in public. Yeah. What we'll do, we'll put you on garden leave yeah. and we'll give you severance pay and yeah, you just sign exactly. a, a non-disclosure. Non-disclosure. There you go. Stay, stay quiet for, for, for a nice package. I wish they did that to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. And another point. I mean, I mean, you know, as a radio yeah. station, right, yeah. we one of our, uh, you know, uh, guests in, in in the studio is John Boucher, who's uh, who's uh, you know head of the the Bedfordshire Police in, in yep. the area, and he and he's a regular guest, right, yep. here in the studio, and it's fantastic to see proactive steps to being taken by the police constabulary, yep. building a positive relationship with, with with the community. But with all of this kind of happening, right, it's very difficult. It's almost like an uphill battle that you're fighting. But nevertheless, it has to be a two-way relationship. What are the, some of the positive steps that you've seen in, 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 along those lines? Well, okay, a couple of things. We've got um, a couple of things. First of all, we've got much more community integration. Mm. Uh, before, we never used to have that. If yeah. you if you look at or any activity, well, certainly in terms of looting, you look at mm. any activity, you will mm. see that there'll be positive interaction mm. with Bedfordshire Police. Yeah. They're more accountable. They're certainly more reachable. Mm. In terms of their recruitment and the retention, if you actually look, what are they uh, wanting? They're wanting to recruit people from the local community. I personally have met at least two chief inspectors no. from Bedfordshire Police, uh, no. which was quite good to see. Mm. Um, and I'm sure that, well, not I'm sure, 100%, they were they were literally promoted based on their merit. But yeah. anybody who's coming in and looking in is going to say, well, mm. actually, you know what, brothers mm. and sisters yeah. are able to do that. So yeah. there's some very positive steps. But yeah. as you say, it's an uphill battle. Yeah. It's not going to be something that's going to be done in, right. in a year, but we've got to push. That's the bottom line. Right. Uh, and now I want to go to Jazakallah for, for that, brother Arif, right? Okay, I want to go to Tahir Mahmoud. From, from a community perspective, you you heard Zita. Uh, you've seen the video. I mean, that doesn't inspire confidence in our community. The comments from politicians doesn't inspire community in our, you know inspire confidence in our community right so from a community activism perspective right what are the kind of steps that we should be taking to make our community stronger right being able to defend and stand up for its rights right because I think they they, they you know legally and, and as a community they have got, they've got the right to do that right and, and to and to be able to hold you know politicians and and authorities like the police authority to account right well what was, give us your experiences brother Thay. um definitely um i think first and foremost you know we have to uh, to solve any sort of problem we have to sort of first of all identify the problem mm. and um like uh, you know i said earlier this is a uh, this particular one event and many other uh, incidents that we've seen mm. is a symptom of the uh, of the rise of far right, uh, not just across the UK but across the world. Basically, you mm. know, people like Trump and their messages, and and even you know Boris Johnson and his his uh, messages and so forth, and his. Uh, right. um, uh, so what he says in the media and mm. media generally as well. Mm. So we have to identify that as the main um, instigator of yeah. the issues, basically. Yeah. Now, how do we address the issues? First mm. and foremost, obviously, we have to address, address these issues at that level. We have to um, address every um, incident that happens, every message that goes out. We as mm. a community not just community here in Lutenburg, community across the UK mm. have to address those issues. We have to write to our uh, MPs, our elected mm. Mm. Uh, members. We have to hold them to account. Yeah. You know, so for any wrong message that yeah. goes out there, we have to get those people to do the work for us yeah. and uh, 
and I don't think that we're making them work hard for us. Right. I mean, I mean, the, the word Zita used was mobilizing, right? Mobilizing the, the community becoming more a lot more active than it than it is. I mean, we, we have elements of activism, but you know, and, and Luton is a, is a very big, strong ethnic minority community, as is East London, right? Uh, so, it, uh, do, do we have a, a large space of improvement in terms of more activism, more mobilization of the community, so that we can proactively address these kind of issues? Absolutely. And I think there's, there's so much more to be done. Uh, I mean, I myself, you know, been involved in holding a number of different events about different things that's addressing the community, about mm. the, uh, the the education, the SRE issues and yeah. so forth. Yeah. And although we've we had really good turnout, when you think about the community in Luton, you know, 30, 40,000 Muslims, not just, uh, you know, sort of the, the these sort of issues doesn't just affect the Muslims, but much mm. wider community as well. And the turnout has been relatively low in terms of uh, what the, uh, mm. you know, the, 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 the people that show concern about these sort yeah. of things. Yeah. So I think a lot of our community is kind of sleepwalking into many of these issues and yeah. we're not active enough. Yeah. Uh, brother, brother Arif, last, last quick yeah. question. Proactive relationship building. Right, it helps when you know you get these kind of examples and these kind of incidents. That you've, if if you've already worked in terms of building that relationship, could, could we do more in terms of building a more you know stronger relationship with the local authority, with the police, etc., etc., to try to pre- circumvent these kind of uh, incidences? Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing is is we we got to have a voice. Okay, if there's uh, for example, if there's any issues and problems, mm. we got to have a voice where we can go to the council, we can go to the police and say, look, our community we think this is happening this is the perceived perception of it can you please take out issues concerns to the people Mm. and let those address them Mm. Um, I think if if people are in a good position okay they'll be able to understand the community they can understand maybe the cultural aspect of it the religious aspect of it any ideological aspect of it and hopefully give us the answers because that's what it's all about isn't it accountability yeah yeah I mean you know know, just last quick one having a voice Right, the community having a voice—that's an area that we've we've never specialized in. Having a unified voice is, you know, it, you know, we're we're very much divided, aren't we? Absolutely, and uh, and you know, sort of united voice, and we've got to be given that voice as well, and we've got to yeah. demand that voice. I yeah. think that's the main thing. Right. All right, we're going to move on to our next story, and we've got a, a number of international guests on the line. So we're going to, inshallah, without any further delay, move straight on and on to the next story. Uh, we have, uh, which is. Uh, Turkey's Erdogan says solution possible, right? So Turkey's Erdogan says solution possible for China's Muslims, right? This is in reference to the 20 plus ambassadors who condemned China, right? I don't know if they if they literally did condemn China, but anyway, they, they did put a, a letter together uh, calling, okay, and, and apparently none of the Muslim states were involved in the or signatories to this letter, but the UN ambassadors urged China to end the Uyghur detention that's currently, you know, going on in China of these Muslims in the so-called right uh, concentration. You know, some people have told uh, t- termed them as concentration camps. China describes them as re-education camps aimed at stamping out extremis- extremism. Now, haven't we heard all that before? But Oxfam and in Amnesty International reported that up to a million Uyghurs were detained in what they termed as concentration camps in 2018. And we have discussed this and there's been a lot of media coverage with regards to this. Let me go straight to uh, a number of experts who are going to give us a bit more of an insight. Uh, we've got Hassan Abdullah, 
who's the diplomatic correspondent at TRT World. And we've also got Russian Abbas, an Uyghur American activist and a managing director of Campaign for Uyghurs. And, you know, we have had Russian Abbas previously on this radio station. So, great again, fantastic to have you again uh, with a, uh, and hopefully get an update in terms of where we are on the campaigning. Let me go turn to Hassan Abdullah first. Firstly, uh, Hassan Abdullah, welcome to Friday Night Live. G- g- give us your perspective on this story that's been covered over the last couple of days in terms of the UN ambassadors urging China to end the Uyghur detention and uh, Turkey's Erdogan making a comment to say that a solution is possible for the Chinese uh, China's Muslims? Well, first of all, I think if you look at the situation on the ground in Xinjiang, or what some call the East Turkestan, yeah. uh, I think it's quite clear that there certainly are many restrictions in place. Uh, the Muslims there, particularly the Uyghurs, they are facing uh, many challenges in terms of practicing Islam and the the sort of persecution they're facing for uh, any visible signs of Islam, whether it be beards or hijab or uh, insisting on halal food and so forth. I think that's quite clear. Yeah. Uh, there have been denials from China in the past, but um, first of all, there was uh, a denial that there was no such thing as concentration camps. Some of their ambassadors got around to accepting yeah. that there were some camps, but they were supposed to be re-education camps. Yeah. And let's not forget, I mean, very briefly, if you look at the historical uh, past, we find that even during the so-called Cultural Revolution in China, mm. during the time of Mao Zedong, uh, they did have such camps at that time as well. So Correct. it's not really surprising at all. So, so I, I think we're, we're moving on now to the next stage, right? So where initially there was denial, now there's acceptance that these camps do exist, right? Uh, and, and now in terms of what is the pressure that we can put on China, right? What, what, what are the you know what can we demand from China because what we've seen is apart from the human rights organizations right like I mentioned earlier we had Amnesty International and in his famous report in September 2018 calling out that a million uh, eager Muslims were being detained were being detained right what else is there that you know that can be done to actually put that pressure on China so we had this letter from the UN ambassadors from 22 countries none of them being any of the Muslim countries? Well, that's a very good question. It's actually a very difficult question as well, and Mm. I think it's got multi-dimensions to it. Uh, First of all, we have to understand that in this Westphalian system that we live in, states are the primary actors. You know, they're largely pragmatic, driven by their national interests. So a lot of the moral considerations uh, many Muslims may have, they sort of take a backseat. So sometimes, for example, Muslims may say that, you know, there's a matter of justice versus injustice, and it's important that we stand for justice. But that may not necessarily be the primary consideration of nation states. That's something Mm. we really have to understand. Uh, Secondly, when you talk about lobbying in some of the human rights organizations, uh, unfortunately, uh, sometimes their credibility is also questionable, because what happens is you find that a lot of the times, uh, the human rights discourse is used as a foreign policy instrument, yeah. and that, of course, affects their credibility. Yeah. So, for example, some of the people who are talking about, uh, in the West in particular, who are talking about the situation in China, yeah. uh, they have remained silent uh, when it came to the persecution and killing of, let's say, Muslims uh, by Western countries. So it's a very difficult situation. Yeah. You, may, you may find some countries trying to raise their voice, but at the end of the day, when it comes to their national interest, which is largely pragmatic, economically yeah. driven, yeah. they sort of uh, toned down. Uh, absolutely. So, so there's, there's clear contradictions that we see and hypocrisies that we see. Totally agree. Uh, let, let me see if, if we've got Russian Abbas uh, on, on the line. Uh, Russian Abbas, are, are, you, are you there? 
Yes, I got disconnected. Uh, you got disconnected. Fantastic. Yeah, okay. Fantastic. So, so great to have you back. You, we have spoken previously. Well, why don't you give us an update in terms of where we, where, where you are, or where we are on on the campaign to really get the the media attention and get the you know the the public uh, you know attention towards you know the the, the plight of the Uyghur Muslims in, in China. And one of the and, and uh, how do you read this uh, this news of the U.S. ambassadors urging to end this uh, Uyghur detention and 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 the letter that's come out of the United Nations? Mm -hmm. um, what's happening today is um, you mentioned earlier uh, one million uh, Uyghur Muslims are in detention. It's more than three million wow. Uyghur Muslims are wow. in the concentration camps today, and my sister is one of them. Um, when there are more than three million people are being detained in the uh, prison-like camps, it's you know nothing to do with re-education or vocational training. It is a prison. The detainees there are subject to rape, torture, and the uh, food and the sleep deprivation. Um, additionally, thousands of Uyghur children are being separated from their families, sent away to those state-run orphanages. And China is the Chinese government is clearly announcing openly to the world that they are signifying Islam by changing the core principles of the religion and getting away at the front of the entire world community. It's nothing to do with eating halal food yeah. or being able to pray or fast in Ramadan or being able to practice the most normal and the simplest religion. Yeah activities we have it has nothing to do with that right. it's about survival now right. so this uh, current uh, the letter uh, that is uh, basically you know this uh, unprecedented joint call yeah. you know, to end the uh, the abuses um be honest with you being a muslim talking to you here talking to uh, the other muslim brothers here i feel happy and sad there's two sides of this i'm i'm happy because at least there's someone, those 22 most democratic nations who are not afraid of the Chinese government, yeah. they are standing up for mm. 3 million voiceless Muslims currently suffering in the concentration camps yeah. in China. And I'm sad, none of the Muslim countries, yeah. none of our brothers and sisters in the faith, yeah. they are too scared yeah. by the power of China to act. Yeah, but, but Russia, Russia let, let me... Let me ask you, I mean, Turkey's Erdogan, right? Uh, 4th of July says solution is possible for China's Muslims. I mean, is, is that a glimmer of hope or is that just a PR stunt from, from Turkey's Erdogan? Because when I saw that statement, uh, it made me reflect that Turkey borders Syria and the Syria crisis has been going on for the last six years and Turkey has a solution for that, but it hasn't really done much. Is this another lip service or is there something practical here? Do you take any, is there any glimmer of hope here from Turkey's Erdogan statement? Well, um, the first, the concentration camp needs to be shut down. Those yeah. three million innocent people needs to be released. That is the first solution. Mm. And then now, going back a little bit, you probably heard too, the Chinese uh, communist state on uh, the news media has released recently, um, you know, which I don't believe those defaming reports about what Erdogan said in China. Yeah. yeah, we have been now two years now. 
no one can say today that they don't know about those abuses. Yeah. They don't know about the concentration mm. camps anymore. Yeah. So a leader needs to take a step forward and yeah. say those uh, the Muslim brothers and sisters, the Islamic Hadith of the Brotherhood, and yeah. stand up for those you know, those of us being persecuted, humiliated, and we are being exterminated, basically. Yeah. If all Muslim Ummah are one body, the Uyghurs are being amputated, basically. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I'm, the mm. Muslim leaders, Muslim state, whoever fails to act now, have the blood of the Uyghurs on their yeah, hands. Yeah. The history will remember those who act, mm. and also remember those who failed to do so. Yeah, very, very powerful words, and, and I can, I can, I can, I just, I can't imagine what you're going through, uh, Sister Rishina Abbas. Of course, you you mentioned earlier that you've got a sister who's one of those three millions that are detained in in those camps. So I can only, you know, our du'as, our supplication are, are with you and and your family, and of course, you know, I I can imagine, you know, the 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 personal, you know, uh, circumstances that you're going through. Uh, brother, brother, brother Hassan Abdullah, I want to I want to come to you. Uh, I mean, these these words from Turkey on on the back end of Erdogan's visit to China. Uh, seem you know very you know it seems like rhetoric but not no no action i believe we can find a solution to the issue taking into account the sensitivities of both sides i mean other muslim countries just uh, do they have no political uh, and political you know backbone at all to take a stance or are they just too too much in bed with the economical e- agreements with china and too many business interests to actually take any stance at all What's what's stopping them from taking a you know an ideological or even a Muslim Brotherhood stance with, with their fellow Muslims in in China? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a very good question. I think you've partially answered that question yourself. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, first of all, when you talk about Ummah, I think we have to understand that the very um, the very Westphalian system itself it contradicts any notion of Ummah. Mm. So when you have nation when you have national interests of yeah. fifty seven something uh, Muslim nation state, yeah. um, you know they're not really in line. With yeah. each other, so yeah. you've, we, we we have history full of uh, like two Muslim nation states yeah. fighting, killing, and raping each other. Yeah. So I, I think we have to get. I think we have to be less. In, as much as we may feel hurt yeah. at what's happening, we need to sort of take a deep breath, uh, cut down on the emotionalism, mm. and try and take a very holistic and realistic um, sort of assessment of the situation. Yeah. So um, any nation state. Any Muslim nation state at this point in time, uh, regardless of what the leader there may want to do, they are operating within an international system yeah, yeah. that places great. But, but uh, Hassan Abdullah, they might so be they, they might be operating within an international system. It doesn't mean you can't speak up, right? It doesn't mean that you can't talk about principles. You can't talk about hum- you know humanity. You can't talk about human rights. You can't you can't talk about concentration camps, right? But unfortunately, we, we are running out of time, and I gotta leave it there. And I want to thank you, Hassan Abdullah, and I also want to thank you know Sister Rashid Abbas for coming on once again and, and making the plight of the Uyghur Muslims very well known on, on, on our radio airwaves and hopefully we'll have you back on sometime soon to, to actually explore this subject matter in more detail. Thank you very much for uh, Hassan and also uh, Rushen. Unfortunately I've got to leave you that. Thank you very much. Right, but I, I, I also want to give you know one minute each to uh, Brother Tahir Mahmoud and, and Brother uh, Arif Firstly, Tahir Mahmoud, you've you just been listening earlier uh, to the comments. What are your thoughts in terms of uh, one ummah? 
Um, indeed, one Ummah, I think, uh, we're not really sort of acting as one Ummah, as Brother said, you know, uh, the Muslim countries, 57 Muslim countries, haven't really sort of uh, said anything against China. And mm. um, to be honest, these the letters, you know, the 50-odd letters and so forth, I'm a little bit sceptical about the intent of those letters. Whilst mm. they're very welcome and the mm. message from Erdogan is very welcome, um, you've really got to sort of whether these uh, these countries care about the Muslim uh, plight in, uh, in China mm. or whether this is intended as a different P- political sort of mechanism, point scoring. political point scoring. And even Erdogan, I think, right. you know. All right. Uh, uh, p- political point scoring, fair enough, but at least they're, they're raising it in, in the public domain. Uh, brother Arif, your, your perspective? Yeah, I mean, just to put perspective, just so people can understand the situation, imagine Hajj. Yeah. Right. Hajj, Hajj, how many people got Hajj? Three million. Two, three million. Three, three million people, just imagine numbers, in concentration camps. Um, wow. It's good that we are doing something, we're looking at it, we're raising it, we're getting voices. Voices can become choruses that can then lead to basically shouting, can lead to action. We do whatever we can in our right. sphere. That's F- the F- fantastic, all right. So on, on, on that note, I want to firstly thank uh, Brother Tariq, uh, Tahir Mahmoud and Brother Arif. I, I, I hope you've had a, a good experience and you're going to be back <laughs> next week again. <laughs> you're not going to disappear no. once and for all. Uh, and I also want to thank to all all my panellists, all my guests that have uh, that have you know contributed to a fantastic line of, uh, lineup of discussion and expertise uh, opinions on a number of different topics. And I also want to thank to our listeners who I know are silently always listening and play back feedback individually, but don't do it on, on air. And uh, thank you very much. Unfortunately, that, that is the end of the two hours. And uh, this is Hafi Shaban and this is Friday Night Live. And we are going to sign out until next week. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We stream our daily broadcast on inspirefm.org. You'll find all our daily updates on our social media at inspirefmluton.